Miracy. And she's gone well beyond a typical online course structure of, you know, just having good content or even having, you know, good content with actions for people to take and things for them to share. Like, she's really thought about what does it look like to make it comfortable and engaging for people to learn in a meaningful way. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey there, Jenny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Our guest today is Corey Melanson. Corey is the president of Sea Change Collab, a company that ignites transformational learning and impact. Corey, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start with the backstory. Just, you know, who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? And how did you make your way to the world of online courses? Yeah, so I am a facilitator and instructional designer. So the first course that I launched was called Beyond Talk and Text, and that's now uh, shifted to be called Online by Design. So as a facilitator, I was really aware that as everyone shifted online, they would be struggling to figure out how to do that in a way that's really collaborative, in a way that, you know, values inclusion, makes kind of the, a, a space really safe for folks to be online together, but also that gets results in a way that wasn't just about talking or, or writing stuff in chat. And so I was going through my own learning curve around that. So things like online whiteboards and, you know, how do we use this thing called annotate in Zoom, for example, and how to create meaningful dialogue processes to invite greater participation and engagement. So that was my first course. As I say, I launched that course in September 2020. There was so much interest in that first course that I just started getting calls from companies across Canada. So I'm based in the East Coast of Canada. And I started to get calls to say, hey, hey, we need this too. And can you do this with my team or with our team? And so I delivered the course 15 times in the next six months. So I built it as a six-week course, a flipped classroom approach, and ended up developing it, as I said, in Rizuku as my learning management system. And it really... Yeah, I just, I kind of couldn't even keep up with the demand. So when I say flipped classroom, what I mean is a flipped classroom is a type of blended learning where participants are introduced to content at their own pace and practice working through it uh, in a live synchronous session. Cool. And how have the offerings evolved since then? Since then... So I actually just launched my second course. I was kind of so busy delivering that first course in that 12 months. That was one of the, you know, the focus of what I was doing. I am just actually finishing the next course. This tomorrow is our the last session of the next training course. And it has a very different focus. So it is called All In, Allyship and Inclusion Leadership. And so I'm working with leaders and change makers uh, from across Canada to really build on their their allyship and inclusion skills 
And really using, of course, all of those same approaches as the online by design. So using my facilitation and instructional design. And now that, you know, my company has a plan to develop and deliver a range of courses. So a blended model, which I think is really key to transformational learning. So people having the opportunity to meet synchronously, you know, live. In my case, it's once a week, but also the ability to digest and work through material kind of on their own in a self-paced way. So I'm developing courses that meet different needs. So one being a longer course, a six-week course, one being some on-demand shorter training courses, and as well as maybe even some shorter um, kind of blended, blended approaches. So really kind of taking the success of that first model, really my second training used that similar model, that six-week model. And now I'm beginning to experiment with some different kinds of training. Are there areas you would like to talk about in regards to your course or interesting things that you found working in terms of learning design or how you engage with your students or what would be most interesting for you to share about your course, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think what I hear from people in my courses is that uh, many of them haven't had the opportunity to engage in really a blended or a flipped classroom approach. And so that in and of itself is new to some some people. And I think the mix of the ability to like learn at their own pace, but really also focus on other people in the courses. So I build a model that includes a reflection each week. They have to submit a reflection and an assignment and their peers offer them feedback. And to me, that is part of the transformation. And I've used different models for that. Sometimes I've um, engaged what I call wisdom groups. And so people in a six-week course then are with a smaller cohort of, let's say, five to eight people. Typically, I try to group people together in time zones um, so that if they wanted to connect outside of the course, they could. Um, When we begin our live session, the first thing you know, beyond a, a welcoming and a bit of an introduction and overview of the, the live session that week, they have wisdom group reflections. And so in smaller breakout groups, they reflect on what are they taking away? What are some of the ahas or insights of the past week? My latest course, I actually co-developed with an Indigenous leader from PEI, again, on the East Coast of Canada. And We actually developed a full circle reflection using the four elements of the medicine wheel. And so I think building that sort of holistic approach, right? It's not just that we're thinking things, we're inviting people to reflect on emotional elements of their learning, physical elements, mental and spiritual elements of their learning. So taking a really holistic approach to how they are learning, how are they integrating the learning and what they're taking away from some of the content. So Corey, I'm a big fan of peer-based feedback systems, both because it's a scalable model, like you know, more and more coaches or more and more consultants or more and more of your time to do it, but also because you know people learn as much or more from the giving of feedback than the receiving. But a concern that people often have is that, you know, well, isn't that kind of the blind leading the blind if they're all kind of going through the course together? 
which it can be if it's not structured effectively. So how do you organize your peer feedback in a way that gives people the guardrails to give that good feedback so that it is effective? Yeah, so I'm reading all of the peer feedback and I'm asking questions about it if I think that it may not, you know, be exactly in line. I also invite people into a model where I invite them to give feedback in a way that certainly, you know, shares first of all appreciation for what the person has done, uh, but also invites them to ask some questions. So I give a bit of a framework around that. One rapid feedback tool I like to use is just called I Like, I Wish, I Wonder. And so that I often use as a frame for peers to give feedback. So what's one thing you like about what this person shared? What do you wish? And then what do you wonder? And I just find it an easy way to kind of frame and and give those guardrails in terms of feedback. It sounds like a thread that runs through a lot of what you've built is kind of a generous and supportive culture of learning for the students, right? You know, it's the sort of thing that if the dynamic were toxic, you know, the the peer feedback would not work and people would not want to engage and they would stop showing up. What do you do to create and cultivate that culture where people, you know, want to contribute, they're safe and comfortable to be vulnerable and to engage? How do you create that experience? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think through a number of ways. So one, of course, at the beginning of every training, I do an assessment. So I send out a survey ahead of time to ask, first of all, you know, where people are at in terms of some of the learning objectives, how confident do they feel to get a sense of where they're at. But I also ask them the question of what would make this a safer and more inclusive learning space for you? And I share that back in the creation of group agreements. So we build the group agreements in this first session to really understand, you know, what does it mean to create an environment where kind of everyone can learn in a really positive way? I think the second thing that I do is I share an anonymous whiteboard platform. So usually that's something like Google Jamboard or Padlet. And I share that at the beginning of each module and invite people to ask their questions anonymously or invite their, you know, their insights, their ahas or their questions. And that's been a really valuable tool, particularly my second course focuses on inclusion and issues of belonging and equity. And there's a lot of questions out there that that people have, or they feel really like they don't know where to start. How do I start asking questions, for example, about, you know, someone with a disability? How do I even know what words are the right ones to use? So by using an anonymous tool, it has really helped create a space where people feel like they're not asking dumb questions or the wrong question. And we've heard the feedback that this is the first time they felt like they could ask these kinds of questions and not be, you know, considered like they're, they're doing something wrong, for example. Corey, a lot of what you described is very, like you've got your template, you've got your course materials, but then, you know, there is you looking at people's submissions and giving feedback and reviewing. There is, you know, the co-creative norms of the group. Like there's a certain amount of customization, personalization on a per cohort basis. Can you give our listeners just some sense of the business math behind this? Like, you know, in a typical course, 
How many people do you have? Roughly, what are they paying? How much of your time does it take? Like, help people understand how the business math works. Sure. I would say this isn't necessarily my strong suit. I love the content and the process, but I also, you know, have a business to run. And so I started my first course, I priced at four ninety seven, and certainly, you know, kept hearing, no, this isn't enough. And so I did make the leap in my second course to $9.97. And I always build in some accessible spaces. So that's something that, you know, just part of my own kind of values in terms of I want to be able to offer this to people who need it and may not be able to afford it. And so leave a few spaces open for a sliding scale. Um, so at 997, um, the latest course, I think we have 37 people in the course over the six weeks. And certainly the first we're running it, of course, as a pilot. And so we're kind of learning from the process and seeing how much of our time is really engaged in the process. And so maybe you can do the math. But so in that six weeks, that's about with 37 people in the training at about $1,000, you know, roughly that's $37,000. And now that the course is created, we're already filling up a second cohort. Um, And then while there is a certain amount of customization there are a few key moments along the way that are customized, but uh, but now that we've built the content as well as the you know agendas and materials for the live sessions, really the customization is in figuring out you know again the questions that people have and pointing them to some of the resources and the materials that we have as part of the course. So. While we're only preparing to do this a second time, I do know from the first training that I offered 15 times that I was then able to kind of show up, you know, two hours every week with a little bit of customization within each training cohort. But beyond that, there wasn't a lot of it. That's fantastic. I don't have any other questions. Corey, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Abe, do you want to do the readout? Corey Melanson is an educator and master facilitator who combines her presentations with transformation. You can learn more about her and her systems at seachangecolab.com. That's S-E-A changecolab.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. So, Abe, I had a bunch of notes that I wrote down. Uh, what jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, Cora's a really interesting person to learn from because it's evident that she's put a ton of time and effort into really trying to, to create a, a meaningful learning environment for her participants. And, and she's gone, like, well beyond a typical online course structure of, you know, just having good content or even having, you know, good content with actions for people to take and things for them to share. Like she's really thought about what does it look like to make it comfortable and engaging for people to learn in a meaningful way. Well, and, you know, she has obviously the big advantage of a background in instructional design and process facilitation and so forth. But what jumped out to me was that, you know, when you leverage a lot of these best practices like, you know, blended learning and mixing synchronous and asynchronous class opportunities and, you know, all that kind of stuff, 
what we kind of talk about under the umbrella of a hybrid course where, you know, you're not focusing on a silver bullet of, oh, my whole course, everything has to be this one model. But, you know, you have the whole toolbox and you, you reach for whatever tool makes sense. You're able to deliver a really transformational experience, but you're also able to do it in a very cost-effective and profitable way, right? She talked about launching a new pilot, which is, you know, $37,000 of revenue for a six-week program. I don't know how much of her time exactly it's taking, although it sounds like not a huge amount, you know, a handful of hours a week. But, you know, a lot of people launching a pilot, even if you were, you know, going to be working 5, 10, 15, 20 hours a week for six weeks to make $37,000, a lot of people would be very happy with that math. And it looks like she's not spending anywhere near that amount of time. So when you really give yourself the space and license to play with all those dials, you can arrive at kind of this optimal configuration where people get the most high value, hands-on, interactive, dynamic experience, but it's really a minimum effective dose in terms of your time and personal investment. Yeah, it makes sense. And then on the learning side, and I think it also speaks to why people are willing to sign up for and invest in her programs because she's able to communicate that they are going to be effective. But she's come up with practical strategies to help people learn from each other. Like, it's kind of easy and nice to say like, oh, we're going to have lots of peer interaction and people are going to learn from and share with each other. But a lot of times that just breaks down in practice if, if you don't like give people clear ways to do that. And it seems like she's put a lot of work into like giving her participants really good models to follow. So, I mean, one specific practical thing she shared that I think people could model and test in their own courses is the I like, I wish, I wonder model, which I thought was pretty cool. I'd never heard it uh, presented in quite that format before. So I, I think the idea is like getting people to give their peers comments in the form of, hey, this is something I like about what you shared in the course. This is something that I wish you had shared or you know provide more of. And this is something I wonder about, or I'm, I'm curious about um, your contribution. And it, it seems like a really good structure that could encourage people to open up and share more deeply. Yeah. And she got pretty detailed and granular about a number of the kind of instructional design practices that she baked into the design of her courses. So, you know, we won't kind of pull out all the best takeaways because that would just be like repeating what, you know, our listeners heard like 10 minutes ago. But what I will call out is that, you know, there were two things that kind of jumped out to me from more of a business standpoint, right? One is that when you combine momentum and quality, that tends to beget even more momentum, right? Every time she runs a course, people are talking and they're sharing, and that brings in even more people. I remember a conversation I had years ago with Michael Port, who was saying that, you know, when it comes to speaking, like public speaking at events and that sort of thing, everyone's focused on the wrong thing. Everyone's like, how can I book more gigs? And his perspective is, you know, if you're really good, then every gig you do should lead to one or two or three more gigs because people hear you and they want you to speak. Right. And so really leaning into that quality level is the key to, to longevity and scalability and the marketing efforts of your business. And I'm seeing a very parallel kind of effect here. The other thing that jumped out to me, and this was like, it was like two sentences. It was a bit of a throwaway, but there was a ton of insight there, which is that she talked about, you know, wanting to make it accessible and having a few spots for a sliding scale. And, you know, that's a great thing to do if that's what your, your values are and you want to be able to do that. But the insight that could easily be missed is that for you to do that, you have to make sure that you're charging enough and you have enough of a margin that there is room for you to, you know, do the sliding scale or have a few people who are on scholarship or go above and beyond for the people you want to, because, you know, the economics are not such that you're already kind of stretched to the max. So building in that margin that allows you to be generous 
is really important, I think. Yeah, good points. Like that's probably a good good place to wrap it up unless you have anything else. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. You want to do the readout? Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Rizuku, here with Dan Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Goverton assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. Big thanks to Corey Melanson for coming onto the show today. To find out more about her, head on over to seachangecolab.com. That's S-E-A changecolab.com. And to make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like the show, a starred review would really help us to know that we're on the right track and we should keep making episodes. So thank you, and we'll see you next time. Right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah. Because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them.
people have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.